It's 12 o'clock noon in Los Angeles, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Yeah, baby. <laughs> and live we are, and our special guest this week is Mr. Aaron Slater from Songwriting Magazine UK. Hello. Good morning. Good evening. Good day, wherever you are. Hi, Aaron. How are you? Good to see you. Thanks for joining me. Let me get the chat room open on my end. You won't see it on your end. Uh, there they are, everybody in the chat room. Make sure that we're actually getting signal out there. And we are live. Excellent connection. Yay. Okay, we are good to go. So uh, I'm excited to have Aaron join us. Uh, he's the founder of songwritingmagazine.co.uk, in case you want to go check it out, which you should. Um, I stumbled on it, I don't know, a few months ago, and was very, very impressed with the site and reached out, and we're becoming friends and uh, hopefully collaborators on some stuff. And I said, hey, why don't you do a taxi TV with me? At least our time zones are close. So uh, here we are. and. Uh, so kind of the general theme of today's show is why some songwriters are successful and others may not be. We'll get into that kind of stuff later, but I want to start out by letting you know that Aaron was actually a signed singer-songwriter himself in the past, so it gives him, uh, you know, he's been down the road. You've got credibility, my friend. So tell us about that. Wow. Um, well, I suppose the songwriting, my sort of songwriting career goes back way before um, I was actually signed. Um, going back into sort of the, the 90s, actually we could go all the way back to the 70s. I'm not going to give you my life story. I was born in 1978. But my dad was actually uh, a, a, a pretty successful um, uh, performer uh, in a band called Stackridge in the 70s. Um, look it up on, uh, on 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 Google or whatever, and and uh, Stackridge. Stackridge, yeah, they okay. were um, they they were pretty successful, but um, their their career kind of waned, and and um, yeah, my dad sort of uh, left left that career behind him, and and when I came, when I arrived, when I was born, um, he wasn't really a musician at that point, and then when I grew up, and I was about sort of. 10, 15 years, 10, 12, around that sort of time as a, as a teenager, I was starting to get into music um, and I'm, I was enjoying making music. I was, um, I picked up an acoustic guitar and uh, I wanted to sort of, you know, I didn't want to do covers. Uh, I wanted to write songs. That was the first inclination. I didn't want to learn Stairway to Heaven. I wanted to write, I wanted to know how Kurt Cobain wrote Smells Like Teen Spirit. And I thought, that seems insane to just pick up a guitar and strum some chords and create a song completely from scratch that never existed before. Um, and I was obsessed with a magazine uh, called Q, which isn't going anymore, Q Magazine. And I saw this, uh, these sort of posters um, that they had, a sort of collection of posters. And um, there was a, a poster of, um, of, of Stackridge, and I was like, I recognize that band. And they were performing with Elton John, the Beach Boys, the Eagles at Wembley Stadium. I was just like, I went in the other room and said, Dad, is this the band you're in? He was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that was great. I met Elton that night. It was fantastic. It was really Wow. Cool. Like, what? I didn't even realize. You know, your parents are never cool. 
I was just like, you know, what? <laughs> that's really cool. Really? You know, it's just like telling me stories. And it, I wow. wanted to be a, a songwriter and performer even more at that point. Um, and um, I asked him to, sort of, you know, help me. And, and he was like, you know, you've got to learn it yourself. You've got to find your own way. And, and so I was writing songs, playing in bands. Um, and I kept going for quite a few years um, without any, any success uh, until um, uh, I met a, uh, a songwriter and producer called Will Sims, who's a, a French uh, producer, and, and he's doing very well for himself now. He's, uh, um, he's, he's signed to Universal. And together we wrote a few songs, which then got signed by um, a sort of an imprint, a, a sub-label. Uh, on, on Universal, and it was just when Spotify was was coming through, um, and so we we wrote uh, an EP, uh, and that got put out, and we carried on writing together. We're still in touch, um, but I mean we're going back to what 2008, 2010 maybe. Um, I'm much I'm much older than you are, so for me that seems <laughs> like almost yesterday. But apparently you're young, and that was a long time ago. <laughs> It was like a long time ago. I, I, I quickly realized that although I was kind of fascinated with songwriting and absolutely harbored the dream of being a professional songwriter, that I, I really, um, I, I thought I could probably be, do better serving other songwriters and inspiring other songwriters and trying to get um, other songwriters, um, give them success. Um, in, a, in a way that I, I knew I, I couldn't. So that's why I could have shifted my focus and, and, and so Songwriting Magazine came about. Uh, and how long ago did you start the magazine? Just so happens it's 10 years, almost to wow. the day. Congratulations, um, that's a big deal. Uh, you know, being an, another business person, uh, it's hard to keep anything running past the first year, let alone 10, so congratulations. Absolutely, yes. Uh, when I started it back then, as I was kind of realizing that my, my songwriting career, you know, I thought, you know, that's fine. I, I'll park that and I'll maybe come back to it in later life. And that's the beauty of songwriting. I mean, maybe being a, uh, a pop singer, you really need to be a teenager or in your early 20s. Um, but, you know, I've, I've met a lot of successful songwriters who have had success later in life. Um, and so I thought, you know, I'll come back to that. Um, but I, I had been working, my day job was, was involved in, in, in advertising and marketing and sales in working for magazine publishers. Uh, and I loved the, the, the kind of the, the creative setup of magazines, the, the fact that every month you're creating a new publication. Um, and, um, but I was working on holiday magazines. I was working on some dance music magazines. I was like, ah, if ever were, I was going to launch any sort of magazine, it'd be a songwriting magazine. And back, sort of re rewinding back to sort of early 2000s, when I was a budding songwriter trying to learn my craft, I Googled songwriting magazine. And all I found was American Songwriter, which is still going strong today. I think Performing Songwriter I subscribed to, which unfortunately isn't going. Um, uh, and that was about it, I think. I think there was one in Canada. Um, there certainly wasn't any in the UK whatsoever. Um, there weren't any magazines covering even songwriting in any real kind of stretch. Guitar magazines, yep. Production magazines, yep. But no songwriting magazines. 
So I bought the domain name, songwritingmagazine.co.uk, and thank you, Michael, for the, for the plug early on there. But it's also songwritingmagazine.com. So, uh, you know, wanted to appeal to uh, songwriters stateside or, you know, didn't necessarily have to be uh, British-based songwriters. Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of just parked that and I thought, well, when I come around to creating a songwriting magazine, I'll come up with some clever name like, you know, Double Clef or Treble <laughs> or Top Line or something like that. But I couldn't think of any decent name. So I thought, you know, let's just have the domain songwriting magazine. That's going to be useful regardless. And then uh, in 2012, I kind of I launched a, a WordPress blog, a magazine style blog, if you will, on that domain. And again, I'll just call it songwriting, songwriting magazine. And when I do create an actual magazine, then, then um, again, I'll probably come up with a better name. And really couldn't come up with a better name and just thought, yeah. it says what it is. You know, it's all about the art and craft of writing music and lyrics. It's songwriting. That's what we're all about. We're songwriters. Songwriting is is the verb. It's it's the it's the reason for being for, for a lot of songwriters. Um, and as our tagline is, it's the heart of great music. Um, I truly believe that. It's the most important facet of music. Um, and if we think about every great song that's ever been written, um, you can just imagine the songwriter had to get, go from absolute zero. Had to go from a blank canvas. Yeah. and create something from absolutely nothing. Um, and that's, that magic still mystifies me to this day. Um, and so I, I started the, the, the website um, and then launched the digital magazine in 2000 and uh, I've lost track now. We're on our 27th quarterly issue. Um, so my math isn't very good. <laughs> Roughly seven years. Seven or, yeah, seven years-ish. Yeah, so yeah. it's seven years um, uh, with our 28th issue, um, which is going to be coming out in a couple of weeks' time. And it's going to be a kind of like a greatest hits. Um, not all um, previous content, but some previous content from our early issues, um, some content that's been our, on our website and very successful, um, as well as some new content, but a kind of celebration of the fact that it's been 10 years since we started. Well, congratulations again. That's quite an accomplishment. And the quality of the content uh, that you guys put out is great. And I want to get to that in a minute, but I want to share a story with you. Even though this interview is about you, I've got to share the story because it goes to what you were saying a moment ago, which, you know, nothing happens without a great song. <clears throat> I got my first job in the industry as a 19-year-old at Criteria Studios in Miami, Florida. And the week that I started there, the Eagles were there doing the One of These Nights album. Clapton was there doing the album that had I Shot the Sheriff on it. The Bee Gees were there doing the album that had Jive talking on it. It was their comeback album. Stephen Stills was under the roof doing a solo album. So there I am vacuuming the floor in the lobby of Studio C. I don't know, maybe two days, three days a week into my tenure there. And I see two very important older gentlemen, older meaning they were like over 50 years old, and they're playing pinball in the lobby. And they were uh, Tom Dowd, who's the, the producer, you know, used to do Aretha, um, Cream, uh, Ray Charles, I believe. I mean, just hit after hit after hit, a legendary record producer. And the other guy was Arif Martin, also a, leg a legendary producer. And they were playing, you know, like, pinball at a blood sport level 
And I very rudely interrupted them and said, excuse me, uh, can you gentlemen tell me uh, what it is, how you make a hit record? I was so naive that I didn't know better than to ask these two very important looking guys that question. Um, so happens they were working with Rod Stewart uh, and, and you could hear the, the rhythm track to uh, Do You Think I'm Sexy was coming through the back wall. And, and I said to them, um, so what does it take to make a hit record? And they stopped playing, <clears throat> looked a little ticked off at me. And, and Tom Dowd uh, says, look, on the other side of that wall, we got one of the greatest artists of all time. We've got the greatest bass player, greatest keyboard player, drummer, greatest engineer, everything that money can buy, we've put into that room, but we don't know if we're making a hit record or not. Down the street, and he points out a big glass, you know, plate glass window in the lobby, he says, down the street in that warehouse is a kid with a TAC 4 track, and he's making a hit record. You know why? And I said, no. He said, because he wrote a hit song. That's how you make hit records. <laughs> so, you know. It's simple. It, it really is. It, it's a simple formula. It's just not simple to write a hit song. It's simple, but it's not easy, yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, that's cool. It, it, when you started, did you have a clear direction that you wanted to interview, you know, hit songwriters? Um, I know you guys also get into deconstructing songs. That's, uh, I think, Duncan's end of things. Duncan's the editor. He was supposed to join us today, but unfortunately couldn't. Um, by the way, tell Duncan, I read in his bio on your website that he's a huge Neil Young fan. Um, tell him if he looks carefully at some Neil Young records, you'll see my name on him. I worked with Neil for hundreds, probably a few thousand hours back in like 76, 77, 78. So, um, Amazing. Yeah. Maybe you can anyway. Put in a good word for us. I'm sorry? <laughs> Maybe you can put in a good word for us, Michael. Yeah. Yeah. People always say to me, why don't you get, why don't you get Neil Young to uh, be your interviewee, your keynote interview for the Taxi Road Rally? And what scares me about that, I mean, we always worked really well together. We parted company in great terms and everything. But if I ask Neil, you know, what does it take to write a great song? He'll just say, well, man, you just got to write what's in you, you know? <laughs> I mean, there, if there was ever a songwriter that doesn't pay attention to song form or any of the normal constructs, Neil is that guy. He really does just write what's inside and what comes out is kind of magical. But he's the exception, not the rule. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway, uh, so did you have a clear vision when you started the magazine that how you were going to approach it and, and kind of like, um, did you think of it as, as an educational component to interview hit songwriters or did you just want to interview them because you wanted to know what they knew? A, a bit of both. I mean, because I had been a, 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 an amateur songwriter, a novice songwriter, and then sort of managed to get some more music out there and, and, and had met with with people who were, had been successful as songwriters, I knew that that songwriters songwriters shared a, a passion, a hunger for learning. Um, and so for uh, for me, it was, there were three things that we really really wanted to do, and we continue to do now. It's about inspiring songwriters. So 
uncovering the stories about how great songs were written to make people realize that actually, hey, I could do that. Yeah, you can do that. It is possible. You just need a guitar and a pen and a piece of paper, and you can write a great hit song, um, as you've just mentioned there, um, or a piano. You don't even need an instrument to write a great, a great song. Um, so, but you need some inspiration to spark that creativity. So it was about inspiring. Um, it was about informing and educating. Uh, say the, the, the part of the same thing, really. Um, helping songwriters to learn about the craft, but also the approach, what they what it takes to be a successful songwriter. And the third thing is about opportunity. So we wanted to be able to highlight opportunities, songwriting competitions, songwriting retreats that people could go to to you know, meet collaborators, um, ways that they might be able to get um, published or at least get some experts um, giving some feedback. And, and um, so those, those were the sort of three facets that we wanted to cover in the magazine. Um, but luckily, I also had the experience of working in magazine publishing for the previous kind of five or ten years, so I knew what it took to create a magazine. Um, so I knew the sort of what we needed in terms of the editorial and, and the, the content and how. I didn't necessarily know how to approach that because I'd worked mainly on the commercial side of things, on the business side of things. So um, uh, I um, asked uh, Russell Deeks to to start start me off really he was the editor of of songwriting magazine he was the editor of the magazine i worked on prior to that international dj magazine and so i knew he had experience in terms of what it took to 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 create a to create a publication so um he was absolutely instrumental in terms of getting us on the right track and and um and then duncan uh took over uh the editor role um must be about four or five years ago now um and do you find that there are similar traits um, amongst successful songwriters? Everybody's looking for a shortcut, and who wouldn't? You know, everybody wants to know, what do I not know that I need to know that can make this happen faster or better for me? Um, are there any personality traits or work habit traits, anything like that that you've noticed that are a thread that runs through many, if not most of them? Absolutely, yes. I mean, I've had the pleasure of interviewing, it must be over 500 songwriters wow. now. Um, uh, in, That's in, a lot. It is a lot. Um, and it is fascinating now to, to, every time I speak to a different songwriter, I'm not getting the same answers to these questions. We're asking very similar questions. And sometimes it is as stupid as asking the, uh, you know, what does it take to, to write a hit song? Um, and um, there, are, there are very different personalities uh, that come through, but the, the common commonality tends to be that, that songwriters are relentless and obsessive about songwriting. Um, they are constantly looking to fill that well of creativity. They're looking at ways to, uh, to, to approach songwriting differently. They're wanting to be as prolific as possible um, and always try to not just write more songs uh, and write more for the sake of it, but to write better songs each time. Um, 
and I think I've noticed how the they they look at their output as ensuring that they are turning up, working hard, showing up. That their strong work ethic. They're very very disciplined. Um, a lot of them subscribe to the kind of nine to five. Like I'm going to clock in. I'm going to show up at the page. Wow. I'm going to. I'm going to. And I have that approach. Diane Warren, um, for me, was one of the was, uh, my favourite interviewees. Um, she she wasn't very uh, she she wasn't able to articulate how she wrote songs, um, either if she wasn't able to or wasn't willing to <laughs> give right. away a secret of how she does it. But you know the the quote that I I took was work hard, show up. That's what worked for me. And she said, I love what I do, and I think that's the key thing. They absolutely fall in love with the process. I think that's a that's a famous quote, isn't it? It's, you know. To fall in love with the process of uh, of doing that, I think a lot of successful entrepreneurs fall in love with the process of uh, of of the hustle, making money, being successful. It's not to do with reaching a million pounds; it's to do with you know the process of of, of getting there or dollar, dollars or whatever it may be. But it's that they're obsessive and and curious, relentlessly curious about the process as well. I think that you've already answered the question uh, why some songwriters are successful and others aren't. It's that obsessive nature because, you know, creative people um, have, a st in my humble opinion, um, having been in the industry now for somewhere around 45 or 50 years, I can't believe that, but yeah, <laughs> it scares me when I do the math. Um, the people who aren't successful yet get hurt, they get injured, they put their tail between their legs, they go home. Uh, a pro songwriter, as you're describing, may get hurt, may get injured, may have their ego crushed, but they will pull the tail out from between their legs the next morning and go right back to work. And I'm a little surprised, frankly, that they've mentioned that they treat it as kind of a nine to five. Now, Diane Warren, I've interviewed her as well. She's a handful. Um, <laughs> a lot of profanity in that interview that had to be bleeped oh, yeah. out. <laughs> but I heard a great story. One of our former employees at Taxi uh, was friends with Diane, and there were a gaggle of ladies that were all friendly. And Diane didn't have much of a social life, so every now and then she would invite the ladies over to her house, I think in the Hollywood Hills, you know, for like a, a pool party on a Saturday afternoon. And as the story went, uh, the ladies showed up, Diane greeted everybody at the door, made a pitcher of margaritas, brought it out to the pool, gave everybody a towel, and went right back into her studio and worked the rest of the day while all of her friends hung out at the pool. Mm -hmm. I'm not surprised at all. yeah. Yeah, that sums it up, sums her up. Um, absolutely. Yeah, I think um, success doesn't happen by accident for a lot of these people. Um, you've got to be willing to put the hours in and be absolutely devoted um, to to the craft. Do you find if you had to get and I didn't give you this question in advance? Um, if you don't have a good answer. I won't mark it down, uh, you know, we're not keeping score, but is there a median age of the people that you've interviewed? Um, are they, you know, like in their 30s, 40s, 50s? 
and I'll tell you why I'm asking that in a moment. Uh, probably uh, as much by accident and, and design that it is the same sort of my generation and older. Um, just purely because we've, I, I've always wanted to, you know, be able to interview some of my heroes from, you know, the, the 90s and 80s music that I uh, absolutely loved growing up and um, inevitably some of the greatest songwriters were sort of um, more successful in the sort of 60s and 70s or you know sometimes when we one of our um, regular features is is called How I Wrote um, where we we don't want to get into the technical minutiae of how a song was crafted um, that, that we'll leave that up to another magazine for us it's more about the story the journey that mm -hmm. a songwriter went on to craft that that song and we actually ended up publishing a, a book um, I'm trying to get onto the screen here, um, which is still available on Amazon. You can plug that as well. Uh, um, go, go ahead and tell them what's the title. <laughs> how I wrote it. How I wrote. Um, it is the the true tales behind over forty of your favourite tunes. Um, so there's sort of um, the likes of uh, how uh, Robbie Krieger of the Doors wrote "Like My Fire." Um, how All Right Now by Free was written, etc., etc. So some classic tracks, and obviously we went out American Pie. We wanted to, we wanted to tell those stories. Um, a lot of those had been, you know, fairly well known. But we tend to, when we sort of dig under the surface, we tend to to get a little bit more detail than maybe other publications might get on on these sort of stories so there's a few things where we, we've been on the on a call with somebody and, and and they go oh oh yeah I just remembered actually um, it was called this or oh yeah I, I hadn't told anyone this before but I just realized that blah 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 blah, blah. and it's like great we've got an exclusive <laughs> we managed to get that out of someone um, but in a, to answer your question it, it tends to be that we've we've inevitably um, uh, you know it's speaking to a, a, an older generation but then again um, we're, we're conscious of that, and we're very, very conscious of making sure that we're covering as many bases as possible in terms of gender equality, diversity, and uh, I think one question you were going to ask is about, about genre, um, yeah. and whether um, we have sort of uh, genres that we tend to fall in. So, you know, age-wise, we, we tend to, we're trying our best to, to encourage, um, uh, we're trying to interview and, and feature as many different songwriters from different backgrounds, different ages. Um, and because we've worked hard at that, I think, you know, certainly gender and diversity were pretty good on. And, um, and uh, in terms of genre, um, we still tend to get a lot of singer-songwriter-led music um, put to us or PR companies from who represents uh, singer-songwriters. So we do tend to, to get more of the pop, rock, um, country, uh, Americana, singer-songwriter-led uh, stuff. But we'd love to be interviewing more, you know, jazz artists, hip-hop, you know, urban, you name it. The reason I asked you about age is that I've noticed among, and I hate to use the word amateur, but uh, people who are not professional songwriters yet, uh, really struggle breaking free from their generation. Uh, 
we all fall in love with music in our probably, you know, when we're somewhere between 10 and 18 years old. That's kind of the window where music becomes central to your life. Um, actually more powerful than television, which is cool. Uh, but I find that a lot of songwriters that I know uh, and artists that are now 40 or 50 years old and returning to it because life got in the way. Uh, mm -hmm. They put it on the shelf and now they're coming back to it, but they're very much stuck in that generation of music that they grew up writing. And I was wondering if you've noticed um, any patterns from the pro songwriters, um, how they stay relevant, how they stay current, and how they avoid sounding like they used to sound 20 or 30 years ago. Have they ever tipped their hand to you at all about that? Well, absolutely. Uh, actually, yes, Diane Warren, again, um, gave that sort of uh, uh, a chink in her armor. She gave away a little bit of the, the, the um, secret sauce there. And, and, and she said, and I'll quote her directly here, you have to stay current. You have to listen to what's going on. I've always been a sponge, so I always take in influence. It's about keeping it fresh and being current. You can't stay in one time. You always have to keep moving with the times. And I, I can't sum it up better than that. Um, I think that's key. It's keeping an open mind, um, wanting to keep your music fresh. And I think to, to speaking to anyone who maybe absolutely still loves the music of, of their teens and, and whether that's in the 60s, 70s or whatever, um, a lot of that, uh, those sounds are still coming back round. You know, uh, you know, hear it in hip hop and urban music is sort of sampling uh, melodies from sort of, um, you know, sort of 70s, you know, easy listening music and, right. and things that come back round. So, and the genres, I don't think they've any been any more of a, a cocktail and melting pot now than ever before. I think anything goes. So actually, I think if you are um, of an era, and you know that era very well. Use that to your advantage, but don't be afraid to try and bring it up to date. And, and um, yeah, that that's the hard part. It seems for people mm. is bringing it up to date. Um, I can't remember if it was on an episode of Taxi TV or whatever the context was, but I heard something recently. Uh, oh, it was a taxi member, I think, having uh, an issue with the critique they got from the screener saying that uh, the samples in a particular song sounded really dated. Um, and if I remember correctly, it wasn't, and the member said, I just went out and spent $500 on this new sample pack. Couldn't be dated, it's the latest, greatest by whatever manufacturer. It turns out the way they um, voiced their chords, the melodies they wrote, you put it all together and overall it sounded dated therefore the string sound or the horns or whatever it was in that song sounded dated because of the writer's approach to it so i i think that diane warren's advice is really good that yeah you have to listen to everything and, and don't listen to last year's hits or this week's hits try and imagine what next year's hits will sound like that's yeah that is key, Michael. Yeah, I, I can't remember what songwriter was telling me, but um, they were saying that if you're going to try and keep up with what's you know, hot right now, you're already too late because that <laughs> right. was being worked on A&R three, four, five years ago. 
you you need to look at what's going to be successful in five years time but nobody knows what's going to be successful in five years time nobody's got a uh, a crystal ball so you have to kind of you have to write from your heart and 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 write what you know and love um rather than trying to second guess what what's going to be successful um that i think that's that's the key thing, and, and, the, and the other way to remedy that, I think, and uh, another tip is, is to collaborate. Um, don't try and do this all on your own. Um, you know, the vast, I can't remember what it is. I, I was interviewing someone, and, and the average number of songwriters on a track is seven now. I think something like that. Mind blowing yeah. to me. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that just shows that you know, even the best professional successful songwriters realize that they can't do it all on their own and if they may be losing a uh, touch of what is current and fresh they'll collaborate they'll find a co-writer that can that, that can help them um, see what might be what might be more current so I think that's that's a key key lesson that I've, I've picked up um, go together go go with a team of people Build your team around you, and 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 don't be afraid to to to, to collaborate. There was um, uh, Wesley Schultz of the Lumineers, who was a cover star of uh, Ho Hey was the, the massive massive tune um, quite a few years ago. But um, he's the uh, we kind of a, did a follow up interview with with him um, to do a little bit of a make it more of a tips piece. So typically with interviews we'll talk about their approach but we won't explicitly ask them for some tips whereas this time around we went just give us your top five kind of suggestions for songwriters and again a quote um, that sums it up perfectly real collaboration can give you things that you could never do alone so in a way the sum was greater than its parts if the parts can put their ego aside and listen to the thing that hits them hardest and don't worry about keeping score of who did what I think that's a worry that I, I, I certainly had when I was going into co-writing. You're kind of worrying about, oh, I'm going to have to split this and worrying about the royalties and worrying about that in the, in the, in the creative process. That's just not going to happen. You've got to kind of got to forget about who's writing what and who's responsible for what. Um, just go into a session with co-writers with, your, with an open mind to try and get the best track possible. Uh, the best collection of songs possible, and then worry about what's going to happen to them afterwards. You're right. Everybody can't play, you know, all the bases in, in a baseball game or all the positions in a baseball game. Yeah. And we, we've seen that time and time again. It's something that I never would have thought of when I started Taxi, but just on their own, the members have figured out that collaboration is the key. And now, obviously, the Internet makes collaboration so much yeah. easier. And so we have some taxi members that are really good with their DAW and they can build killer tracks, but they can't write a melody. It's just not what they do well. And they team up with another member that they might very well meet in a chat room on one of our episodes of mm. Taxi TV. And they start collaborating and a year later, they're becoming successful just because they put their ego aside, said, I can't do it all. There's somebody that does something better than I can do it. And I need that to make this work. 
I, I don't think we've got very many taxi members that are collaborating with seven people, but I've, I've seen it when you go to award shows, you know, like uh, ASCAP or BMI award show, and they call the writers up for big hit. Like they barely have room on stage for everybody. It's crazy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think just to, to add to what you're saying there, it doesn't necessarily have to be a, 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 a discipline you can't do yourself. I think that's I, I certainly suffered from that in the in the early days I thought well I can do a bit of production I know my way around Cubase or Logic I can uh, play the guitar I can write lyrics I can write melody yeah I can do this on my own I don't need anybody else but then you kind of get very insular you follow the same patterns um, you don't push yourself I think that's key I think yeah. a lot of the songs a lot of the great songs at some point were awful songs and probably for uh, a large part of the creative process. They were terrible, terrible songs, or they were okay and they were good, but the songwriter just kept chipping away, pushing it, pushing it, right, actually that chorus isn't big enough. We need to go another level. Um, and I think um, a lot of songs, big successful pop songs like, I've noticed, he's, he's on our wish list, Max Martin. Um, I think he's been ASCAP songwriter of the year, last 10, 15 years in a row, or whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, hopefully we can, uh, 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 have a chat with him but you notice that a lot of his songs they kind of they start off amazing and then they go up and they're even better and they're better and they almost have like two or three choruses two or three amazing hooks just in one song and you think I can't get any better surely I can't get any better and I think that's where that separates great songwriters from, from amateur songwriters an amateur songwriter will come along a hook or a chorus and go that's good yeah. Fantastic. There we go. I got that's it. Done. Yeah. Yeah. But then a great songwriter will go, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. Or they'll have another songwriter come in and go, hey, I've got an even better middle eight or a break or a, mm. uh, a bridge that will go in there and take it up another level and keep pushing that song to, 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 to be as great as it possibly can be. You used the word insular a couple minutes ago. And, uh, notwithstanding COVID, because that was a circumstance nobody could have predicted. But yeah. it used to be songwriters would get together in a room with a couple of acoustic guitars, a guitar, a piano, you know, kind of brill building style writing. Mm. And, and things have changed so much, but yet the, the tools have dictated that everybody can stay home in their basement studio and, and make a record, not just a demo, but a record now. Uh, it's it, so it tends to push creative people to be more insular and uh, I, I hope that this conversation we're happy, having causes more people to realize they need to at least electronically or telephonically or video chat wise get out of their basement and, and collaborate with other people because it's be it's something I never would have guessed, but it's become so apparent being the owner of Taxi that collaboration is like 75% of the successes I see. Collaboration mm -hmm. is, is at the, the crux of it. So um, have you noticed uh, how did COVID um, affect the people that read your magazine or the people that you interview? Uh, did they talk about that, about the isolation of not being able to go into a room with anybody and, and how did they deal with it? Yeah, I think it, it affected 
everyone in in a in different ways, um, but it forced everyone to try and find uh, new ways of doing things. I think that's you know restrictions do help the creative process sometimes because it forces you to think differently, uh, right. work differently, um, and and adapt. And I think um, as I was saying, you know, one of the traits of songwriters is they are willing to to uh, to adapt to new scenarios, new situations, but also keep working. So when I spoke to songwriters, they weren't working less, they were writing more because they were forced to spend time at home when they would normally maybe be out on the road. Um, and yeah, for a lot of songwriters I speak to, they say that they can write when they're on tour they can write in, in, in between sound checks and in hotel rooms and things like mm -hmm. that. But the vast majority of them say that's not really conducive to a to a creative environment where you're having to do promo and you and you're having to do signings and and um, you're just sort of on that sort of roller coaster um, and it's just hard work. So I think when the whole kind of touring um, machine ground to a halt. Um, for a lot of songwriters I was speaking to, um, it was a sort of welcome respite. It meant that they could actually create and, and not have the pressure um, to, to do so. Um, but then I think we've, uh, we've all adapted to, the, to sort of adopt technology like we're doing now. I think, um, yeah, I think people are more um, willing to collaborate digitally using yeah, video conferencing um, and the technology, luckily. I mean, the technology's been there to do this before, but I think it's just the circumstances forced people to, to embrace that um, yeah. a little bit. Yeah, we, we saw that as a company at Taxi. You know, I, I was always afraid of us working remotely and uh, a four-day uh, brush fire in Los <laughs> Angeles forced us out of the office once and we found out that using WhatsApp and Zoom, we could work very effectively together. And certainly songwriters have figured that out as well. Um, let's talk about your readers for a minute. Are, are they um, more, are they more interested in getting their songs cut by artists on labels or are they interested in being artists themselves? Or are they interested in writing songs that they license for film and TV? Is there any sort of pattern in your readership? I think the pattern is that, or the trend is that um, songwriters increasingly have to do all of the above <laughs> and, and try and find lots of different ways to supplement their income or find ways to, um, if they want to, if they want songwriting to be a career, then they can't just rely on uh, creating their own music uh, and just putting that out um, you know it's been well publicized that the, um, the the minimal sort of amount of money that anyone's making from or sort of certainly gra grassroots songwriters are making from streaming services um, yeah, that that is not going to be fixed anytime soon so I think songwriters for a long time have had to try and find other ways of um, of of promoting their music, but not, not so necessarily just promoting their music, but promoting their skills uh, and, and working 
um, their songwriting uh, ability. So whether that be getting their songs placed, TV, film, um, video games, I think in, in various different forms, um, uh, or whatever way possible, um, writing, collaborating, co-writing with, with other people. Um, I think that's where, again, going back to the sort of three things that we're trying to do with the magazine, it's about inspiring, informing, but also then giving opportunities to songwriters. And I think that's something we haven't done as much of as we'd like to. And that's you know, one of the key reasons for us um, speaking with you, uh, Michael, with, with Taxi. Um, to to enable us to be able to to do that to to be able to connect to to, to allow songwriters to become better at what they do but better at promoting themselves and better at uh, for want of a better word exploiting their their skills and their well uh, you know you and I being that we both love marketing <laughs> we have that. Um, but for most people, especially creative people, selling is a dirty word. Um, and I don't know if they're afraid to sell because you might get rejected. You know, sales are tough. You got to call 100 to make a you know, make a single sales. Um, do you think that songwriters are waking up quickly enough to the fact that they do have to do it all. Are you getting any feedback like that from your readers? Like, wow, man, you're right. Um, I, I can't just sit in a basement with an acoustic guitar, you know, and, and logic and lay down some tracks. It's not gonna magically float through the air and land on some A&R guy's desk or end up in a TV show because my next door neighbor is a film director. Do you get a sense that people are starting to come to the realization that they do need to do it all? I think so anecdotally um, from people we speak to. Um, uh, I spoke at a, a talk um, for uh, students at the ICMP, the Institute of Contemporary Music and Performance in London, um, songwriting students. Um, and to be honest, they were more uh, they were more aware of ways of promoting music than I was and they were talking about NFTs and they were talking about um, all the different sync opportunities and so they're clearly thinking so that they're finishing school and college and you know whereas my generation, I'd say my generation that's a sort of a uh, um, bit of a, a sort of catch-all sort of term but from when I sort of left uh, school and college and looking at university in the 90s, there wasn't anything really that you could do as a sort of a career in music, um, unless it was sort of classical uh, music um, or just sound engineering and that sort of the technical side of things. Right. Um, oh, I lost him. Oh, no. There you are. Yeah, you're back. All right. Yeah, I should have warned you before the show that if it happens that we lose each other, just click the link and I'll let you back in again. But um, oftentimes it does it on its own. It's scary when that happens. Gee, I'm glad we're not live. <laughs> <laughs> the system is dropping me a hint to stop talking, stop rambling. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is fascinating stuff. I, 
I, I love it because you know I spend so much time running taxi, and I, my staff and I talk about this stuff. But you know, I was excited to speak with you because, as you said when we first met, you're on the other side of the pond, and I wonder if. <laughs> this is like dogs on the American side, cats on the British side, but it sounds like it's the same. Um, that songwriters are songwriters are songwriters, artists are artists are artists. That uh, very very similar. Yeah. So what I was what I was sort of getting to was the, was the fact that I think songwriters now have got a lot more opportunities uh, than um, sort of twenty, thirty, forty years ago. Um, but you have to be looking for those opportunities. I don't think the the old-fashioned way of you know starting a band, writing some songs, performing, getting discovered, sending a demo cassette off, and getting you know signed, and you know uh, becoming a successful songwriter that way is um, it, it was never easy. That was always a bit of a, a lottery, a bit of the dream. Um, now there's a, there, there are a lot more tangible, structured, academic, and um, methodical ways of uh, of being a professional songwriter. I think. I think a lot of people uh, fall back on the uh, old chestnut that it's like, I I want it all, I do it all. If you walk up to many songwriters and say, well, hey man, what kind of music do you do? Oh, I do a little rock, I do a little pop, I do a little country. And I think that a lot of people are compelled to say that because they think that it displays their versatility, therefore makes them more appealing. When actually to a real pro in the industry, it's like, oh, you're not a professional yet because nobody does all of that well. Um, and, and when you, ask a lot of songwriters or artists uh, or even producers it's like uh, well what's your goal what is your end game and, and the phrase I just want to get it out there I want to get my music out there and that is I mean it's not embarrassing that they say that but it's very fuzzy and ill-defined it's not specific there's not a, a target in front of them which I believe makes it harder to be successful if you don't see what you're aiming for it's going to be really hard to hit the target do you get that same sense from people that it's like they know they want it they feel somewhat maybe even entitled to it um, because they love it so much and they've got that passion that you spoke of before but yet they don't really they can't put it into words I want to be a songwriter for this type of artist on major labels, or I want to write songs that would work really well in TV commercials, which is a different type of writing. Um, do you get that same sensibility from people that you speak with anecdotally? Yeah, I think what you're touching on there, Michael, is the fact that, that, that what we talked about earlier was the difference between um, uh, Taxi and Songwriting Magazine. You, with, with Taxi, you're you're speaking directly, 99% of the time, you're speaking directly to um, aspiring songwriters, you know, right. grassroots songwriters who are wanting to get up there. They want to be successful. They want to be professional songwriters. Whereas on a day-to-day -day basis for us editorially, we're speaking to as, as successful songwriters as we possibly can. Um, obviously, we're wanting to speak to the, the superstars, but we're equally wanting to speak to a lot of those that are behind-the-scenes songwriters who are successful now you see them in the credits or you see them you know uh in, in at the grammys um 
but they're not necessarily the performers. That that for me is really really interesting. Um, but they're, they're as I say, when we speak to professional songwriters, they're very driven. They aim for the pin to hit the green kind of thing. They know exactly what they want. They're focused, um, and they'll worry about diversifying further down the line. You know, they're not worried about being pigeonholed too early in when they're in the early part of their career. Um, because they know that if they're successful on, on one avenue, that will open up opportunities for them to experiment and do other things. Um, Gary Barlow is a perfect example. Um, take that songwriter. Um, very, very successful, has been very successful. He has nothing left to prove, yet he is still um, writing. He wrote a, a song for the, a, a Saturday night TV quiz show uh, here in the UK. Um, and he treated that the same way as when he was pitching songs 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, he didn't, you know, very sort of vague brief, but he knew that it had to be as perfect as possible. It wasn't a kind of, um, uh, as he talked about, it wasn't a pencil drawing. It was a fully, it was the whole kind of artwork completely um, created. Um, but he knew he was pitching it still. Um, he's been writing music for uh, West End musicals and um, writing music for other different different areas. He's not precious about what he's writing for. Um, and I think that's, again, he could afford to do try these different things and to, to write in different areas now. Um, but each time he's very, very disciplined um, and he is still trying to work hard and deliver. Uh, I like the fact that you use the word precious. That's a word that I've heard during my entire career in the music industry. And I don't think that the people who are precious realize they're being so precious is, is part <laughs> of the problem. Um, I, I would define that as this is what I do. This is what I've done. It's great, isn't it? You've got to love it. And they're not open-minded about expanding their style or, or moving to another similar genre, stretching, pushing the envelope a bit, or collaborating. Uh, do you see a lack of preciousness in the pro songwriters that you interview? Uh, yeah, uh, and keeping open mind, I think, um, in the creative process um, is really important. So another thing, um, that comes up quite frequently um, is using different instruments, not just waiting to get writer's block and get stuck on one instrument. But um, there was a there was a songwriter called Jamie Lawson, and this crops up again. I could probably find twenty or thirty other songwriters who've said the same thing. Um, different instruments are very useful, especially if if like me, you can't play them very well. Seriously. There's something about naive play playing that will open a lot of space in the music. So he was specifically picking up an instrument he couldn't play hmm. because he wanted to try and write a different song or try and open up something that he hadn't been able to explore. And I think when you're too kind of set in a particular genre, you know, using a guitar and a specific type of acoustic guitar in a specific type of way, your hands t tend to go to the same chords, the same movements, you come up with similar melodies. And if you're gonna be prolific, you're 
the problem is you're going to end up with a hundred songs that sound very similar. Um, and if one of those isn't successful, the other 99 aren't going to be successful either. So you need to be able to keep pushing those boundaries, experiment, try different things. Um, and I think that's the kind of antithesis of preciousness, which I think is, is key. Always be willing to just try things. What, you know, well said. Uh, yeah, I, I've had people tell me the exact same thing, but rather than a different instrument, uh, they'll try different voicings on chords uh, or, yeah. or, or a tuning that they've never used on their guitar. You know, go to a drop D or something, and all of a sudden it's like they got a whole new life as a songwriter. So I think that's great advice. Um, any other tips come to mind that you've heard? So, some gems that have fallen from the lips of, of the pro writers that you've interviewed? Uh, yes, so I suppose um, uh, I've, I've mentioned a couple already in terms of sort of the work ethic um, uh, and collaboration. Um, something about the, being prolific, um, Gary Barlow also said, it's got to be fun. <laughs> There's no use this being a chore. You know, yeah, work hard, but it really don't let it feel like work. Um, if it's feeling like it, you're, you're sort of pushing a uh, a rock up a hill, just stop, just forget it, because you won't get something that has the energy and the excitement and that playfulness. And I think there's a there's another common thread is that childlike playfulness that I think a lot of songwriters still have. So regardless of whether they're 18 or 80 um, years old, they are they've got that sort of childlike naivety about music, and I'm always kind of willing to sort of pull the song apart and find out what, what makes it tick. Um, and so I think that enables, if, if it's constantly fun and you love what you're doing, then it will never feel like work. Um, so that, that's sort of the kind of flip side of that coin. Um, uh, be ready, I think, was another thing that sort of cropped up a few times. And not just be ready for an opportunity. So. Um, being ready for ideas to come at you because yeah you might turn up at nine o'clock in the morning with a guitar and be right i am going to write a brilliant song today and you can force it you know, sometimes sometimes just turning up and getting there but other times you know it's like sometimes the best idea comes at the most inappropriate moment when always the shower yep. yeah shower. always the shower <laughs> absolutely washing the dishes Driving the car, um, driving the car it crops up so many times. There's been a few massive songs that have been written, um, not while driving the car, I hasten to add. But uh, one of the uh, most recent interviews I did, which was an absolute dream, was interviewing the two or three songwriters that wrote the, um, the, the songs to the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. Mm. So I've had the time of my life, um, Angel, uh, Hungry Eyes. Um, and they they were fantastic. They were an absolute pleasure. We haven't um, published that yet. That's going to be coming up in a minute. Well, you're going to be really glad that you met me because a really close friend of mine is a gentleman named Michael Lloyd who produced the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'd yeah. be more than happy to introduce you to him. He's a great interview. Yeah, well, so Frank, so we, we interviewed... I, I did the interview of, uh, a month or so ago, but we haven't um, published it yet. And it was fantastic. I'm saying as a, a follow-up. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, to get the, um, the other side of the story. 
yeah. um, on the production side of it. Yeah, always good. We're we're interested in speaking to producers as well as songwriters. Um, um, that, that's that's always that's always great. But he was talking about um, how they wrote "I've Had the Time of My Life," and they knew it had to be a big song. It was going to be the the epic song at the end of the movie. It was going to be really really important. You know, the song. You know, talk about pressure to come up yeah. with something. Um, but it was, um, I can't remember the, 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 the co-writer on that track, it's, it's given him the cassette. Um, and he just was driving somewhere in California, I think it was, um, just driving along the highway and just stuck the cassette on, I'll just I'll have a listen to it. And it was just some melodies, I think, and a backing track, and that was about it. And it immediately it was just like, I've had the time of my life. He, he you know, pretty much sung that out loud wow. over the Luckily, he was able to pull over um, uh, and, and, and you know, just on the exit of the freeway or wherever it was and grab a piece of paper from his, his, his uh, glove compartment and, and, and wrote down, I've had the time of my life and, and have that melody and just quickly went back to his, his, his sort of home studio and, and uh, the rest is history. But that, you know, he talked about how that song became pivotal for the, for the movie. It wasn't just a great song that happened to be on the soundtrack. Um, it was pivotal. They, they used the demo that they recorded in the filming of that scene. Mm -hmm. um, and up until that point, I think Patrick Swayze and uh, Jennifer Grey was it? Um, yeah. And the, 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 the cast weren't really feeling the movie. They weren't really getting into it. And then they filmed that scene with a song and suddenly there was excitement. It was like, wow, that's a great song. Who did this? And it was just like, um, so, you know, the, the knock on effect, if Frank hadn't been able to, to capture that, that idea might have gone. It might have been called something else and maybe it might not be as successful. So, yeah, be ready. Be ready to capture ideas at any time. Another um, more recent um, example um, of that is, is Dan Wilson. Um, mm -hmm. He's Sonic and now, you know, written Adele's biggest hits and, um, uh, you know, prolific behind the scenes songwriter now as well as uh, in his own right, brilliant songwriter, singer-songwriter. He's got, um, if you find him on, on Instagram, he does sort of Instagram stories, and he's got these sort of deck of cards, sort of postcards. Um, uh, and he uses those to just jot down a little lyric idea, or it might be a chord sequence, or it might be just a strange kind of juxtaposition of thoughts. He'll just jot it down, stick it in the pile. And then when he has Dell over, or whoever it might be coming over to do it, They'll just kind of, there we go, there's a card. Let's riff on that. <laughs> what does that mean to you? And so he's, all, so he's using them in two different ways. He's not just capturing ideas and then just leaving them to, to kind of um, yeah, get forgotten about on a hard drive or on your iPhone or whatever it might be. It's, he's then you, keeping that pool of little ideas, little nuggets of, a, of creative sort of spark um, to use when he's lacking that creativity. So um, that, that was a, a key thing, as I say, be prepared, be ready to capture um, ideas at any point. I, I've heard the same thing said about reading books, novels in particular, obviously mm -hmm. not like, you know, business management books, but uh, I think the first person to ever mention it to me was Eric Clapton uh, in oh, a conversation yeah. we were having and I asked him, how do you get inspired? And he said, I read every night. And said sometimes a storyline, sometimes just three Ooh. words in a sentence will inspire a song. So I thought 
that was cool. And I'd mentioned it to other people during the course of my career. And so many people, it's like, oh, yeah, like you didn't know that before we all do it. <laughs> um, you mentioned producers a moment ago. And let's talk about production as it relates to songwriting. Uh, have you heard from any of the people that you've interviewed that they've had to uh, cross over to the dark side and learn how to run Logic or, or Cubase uh, before they were purely a songwriter with an acoustic guitar or a piano. Maybe they were even just a lyricist. Um, but all of a sudden now they realize they've had to up their game and, and more fully flesh out the, the quality of their demos and that the rhythm tracks, the, the tracks are so, let's say more important than they used to. They are, They're, you know, songs rely more heavily on rhythm as it relates to the delivery of lyric, um, the, the sounds of the instruments used in unusual rhythmic ways that were never done before. Do you hear from the pro songwriters that you've interviewed that, oh yeah, I've had to transition and learn how to run Pro Tools in my home studio, or is that not a discussion that happens? Uh, yeah, certainly Gary Barlow um, talked about that. Uh, again, I think he, he he's such a, um, a fan and, and a, a bit of a geek when it comes to music so you know it's his background you know was was playing keyboards and singing at kind of uh, 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 clubs and venues when he was like 14 years old so he he obsessed about keyboards and then it was synths and then it was um, uh, microphones and then it was about okay well and, and then it was sort of hardware and outboard and mixing desks um, like what, what you've got in behind you he was a, a real kind of student and wanted to learn and, and absorb and see what was going on and see what, how that's that's uh, how a song comes together um, and I think latterly now obviously being able to have a state-of-the-art studio in the uh, in their in their house a lot of these very successful songwriters so they have the benefit of doing that that said luckily the technology allows pretty much anyone with you know a uh, a fairly average laptop um, or desktop computer, even with an iPad, you can do so much. You can get load up, load up GarageBand, and you can do a lot of things that previously, you know, I remember when I, you know, in the 90s, when I was had a four-track recorder, it was an absolute nightmare. It was good, great fun, but, you know, a really kind of rubbish Casio keyboard and a, and a <laughs> acoustic guitar and this Tascam four-track and just trying to get anything recorded and, and um, was, was such a challenge. And now the challenge is you've got all the technology, all the different myriad options available to you. I think the challenge now for a songwriter who's wanting to dabble in production or wanting to learn more is trying not to get completely sucked into all the different plugins and different right. don't spend three hours looking for the perfect kick drum song Absolutely. just write the damn yeah. song right. exactly good, good tip actually from gary barlow again um uh, and he's one of the most recent kind of interviews actually it's a few years ago now but for, for me i was really i was overjoyed to be able to interview him but he said he has to guard against that so he has a timer he's like an egg timer thing um wow. not, you know those cooking timers 
um, and he sets it to 20 minutes. Um, and he'll go, right, I'm going to record a guitar now, or I'm going to work on this guitar sound, or I'm going to work on this reverb for 20 minutes. So he has to force himself, because he said otherwise he'll be there for hours trying to perfect yeah. You know, get the compression absolutely perfectly right, and um, yeah, even he suffered us from that kind of like, oh, um, uh, was it shiny dollar syndrome? You know, what's yeah. that? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, it, it's a very deep hole that's very easy to fall into and and keep yeah. going. Um, yeah. Have any of the people, or maybe many of the people that you've interviewed, talked about how they deal with writer's block? Yes, um, it crops. It, it crops up less than I imagined it to. Interesting. Um, I certainly suffered from it. Some people, um, I remember Lamont Dozier, um, uh, obviously the, the Motown uh, legend. Um, he said, uh, "We we couldn't have writer's block." <laughs> so back in the sort of the very gaudy days of, you know, obviously having to write hit after hit for Smokey Robinson, yeah. uh, the Jackson 5 or whatever it might be. And, you know, they were just having to churn out the hits that they were under pressure um, because they knew that if they didn't succeed as a songwriting team, there would be plenty of other people who wanted their job. So they were like, we couldn't afford to have songwriters block, you know. Um, and so... There's, when, when we when I ask that question, um, it's probably fifty-fifty. It's probably fifty mm. percent. Probably go, no such thing. You know, you just keep it going. Or, um, you know, Dan Wilson, as I say, you know, I think they have mechanisms for avoiding writer's block. So they they want to make sure that it doesn't happen. So they have um, tools in place that allow them. So like that deck of cards that they can turn to. Um, so if rather than having a, uh, a blank piece of paper. Yeah. Um, Karen Poole, who was part of a band uh, called Alicia's Attic and now is a sort of behind-the-scenes songwriter um, for Kylie Minogue and um, various, many a lot of British pop acts. Um, one of the first sessions she went into, even though she had some success as a songwriter, as a performer, she was invited into a one of her first writing sessions um, was with Danny Minogue, uh, Carly Minogue's sister who had a, a short-lived um, pop career. Um, but Karen was invited in and she was so nervous because she kind of pitched herself and promoted herself, said how brilliant she was as a songwriter. She'd had her manager say, you want to get Karen in? She can, she can write with Danny. And she knew she was going to be in this kind of quite intimidating scenario where you're sat there with the artist and then maybe a producer or... Um, a co-writer, three or four of you in a room, the A&R guy uh, or, uh, or gal <laughs> um, uh, there and, and having to come up with the idea, having to come up with a song or help the artist come up with a song and she went in there armed with a pile of books and these were all her lyric books where she just mm. scribbled down ideas so she was, she, w she was glad that she wasn't afraid to go in there armed with kind of her safety net her kind of uh, comfort blanket of of those those lyrics there to turn on so she was able to just open up a book and kind of go oh, how about this for an idea so again it's it's avoiding it's preemptive <laughs> pre 
preemptively avoiding writer's block rather than actually um, trying to do something about it when it when it happens. I think that's incredibly solid device. Um, looking to see if there's anything we haven't covered and want to let the people in the chat room know that in a couple of minutes I'm going to open it up for questions from you folks. So start thinking of your questions now and when you do post one in the chat room type the word question in all caps so it's easy for me to spot. Um, considering that the magazine is international in scope, based in the UK, um, do you see any differences when you interview songwriters from the UK versus American songwriters, or, or could be songwriters from anywhere? Just uh, does geography dictate anything as far as the process or um, maybe genres, anything at all, or is it universal in a global way? Um, a few things that come to mind is that I think um, the UK, we haven't got the kind of um, long list of different charts for different genres. Um, uh, so I think it's encouraged songwriters to think holistically about songs and not think about I'm writing what will be a hit on the country uh, chart or the hip hop chart or whatever it might be. Um, so I think uh, there's there's been for for quite a long time a sort of a melting pot, and I think a lot of songwriters realise they can't just focus on one area; that they have to be open-minded um, in the in the UK. But still having a little bit of that kind of um, focus on the on the UK market, um, and and not really thinking outside the UK. I mean, we're very very lucky with you know having some of the the great British music. Um, being such, you know, being great exports for us for the last, you know, six, seven decades. Um, Absolutely. So we're, we're, we're blessed with that, but maybe we take it for granted a little bit that the rest of the world will listen to our music and think it's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I think that's that one thing that maybe we're, we're, we're guilty of here in, in the UK. Um, and uh, but having someone like Ed Sheeran, who's being an, an, a fantastic ambassador for British songwriting, um, again, showing how uh, a, a pop song can be so many different things and it can incorporate folk and urban styles, country, and it can cross over. Um, I think that's key. I think um, whereas when we're speaking to American songwriters, I think they're more conscious of the fact, you know, when we're speaking to Nashville songwriters, I think yeah. the Nashville, the way of songwriting in Nashville is, is still a, um, a, 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 a heavily disciplined approach and needs to be approached in a particular way. Um, there's, 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 few, there's a few uh, British songwriters who have kind of marveled and, and revered Nashville and gone over there and, and then come back and go, wow, that's 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 next level songwriting wow <laughs> it really it's hard to explain to somebody who hasn't been immersed in it and 
15 years ago, I was going there six or seven times a year and had several friends that were huge hit songwriters, several friends that were A&R people, several friends that were publishers. I would go to Nashville with a song that I heard through Taxi that all of us agreed, this has got to be a hit. And you played for people over there and they go, it's pretty good, but <laughs> and they would literally take it apart syllable by syllable. Uh, and say, well, right here you're saying but, but you really should be saying and because the thought process is they work so hard on their craft and are so brilliant that it is at a level that can only be understood if you've been somewhat immersed. Otherwise, people think it's all about pickup trucks and six packs of beer in the swimming hole in the summertime, much, much more. Um, let's take some questions. There are quite a few stacking up. People are enjoying the interview and have stuff they want to ask you. Uh, Mike Wetzel wants to know, what's the fastest shortcut to getting a song idea out? Actually, are there any actual steps or ways that you can recommend? Um, when you, when you say out, do you mean out of kind of yeah, your like, head? And, and yeah. <laughs> Keep, or do you mean out as in... I, 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 I think he means out of your head. Um, okay, song idea out. Yeah, because a song out is one thing. A song idea out, yeah, means, you know, coughing yeah, it up. There's your three aspects to that. So there's the getting it out of your head and, and getting it down uh, and getting it externalized. Um, mo mobile phone voice notes keeps cropping up again and again as, as a, a, an indispensable tool. Um, there's a few people who stick to sort of pen and paper and want to have a moleskin notebook next to their <laughs> bed but, you know, whenever they've got an idea. Or, um, but yeah, it, it crops up so many times. Um, uh, again, it was Wesley uh, from the Lumineers who was talking about the fact that the, qu the quality of the recording was actually good enough for a finished Take. They actually used what he put down on on, on a voice note, recorded. I, mean, I don't know what phone he was using, but good advert for that. Yeah. <laughs> so he was just, I can't remember what it was, but it was just any catch, thinking it was just going to be a kind of, you know, stream of consciousness. Get an idea down. That's fine. And they ended up using that that actual uh, recording, uh, vocal recording. So get these ideas down. Um, uh, Another thing to, to talk about stream of consciousness, that was another um, a, a common um, uh, technique uh, for uh, if you've got a, a melody but you haven't got a lyric, just to kind of mumble words, you know, use whatever to just get that melody down uh, and worry about the lyric later. Sometimes, you know, lyrics come out at the same time, like I've had time in my life. That, that example, that was where the, the melody and the, the, that line came out. But uh, so many of these songs started out as just kind of uh, just little hooks, little nuggets of ideas, and then they needed to be sort of crafted. Uh, did, did you watch the Beatles documentary Get Out? I have watched almost all of it. <laughs> it's a, there's a lot. There's I, a lot I watched it twice in a weekend. And, wow. and pulled my chair up three feet from the TV and, and just got completely sucked into it. I, I was amazed by, first of all, 
I think I'd forgotten how many covers the Beatles played when they were playing like the Cavern Club or wherever. It's amazing. They would start noodling, uh, you know, covering somebody else's song. And instantly, even though it was just two of them scurrying around on an acoustic and a bass, it started to sound like a record because they were just so good at as players. Um, oh, I had another thought about that and I lost. Oh, just exactly what you said, which was very often when it showed them working up a song, uh, they would do exactly that. They would just make up silly lyrics or just make yeah. noises and later became brilliant, brilliant songs. So clearly that technique works. All right, let's take another question here. Um, have you ever interviewed Ryan Tedder? No, certainly on the, on the, been on the wish list um, for, a, for a long while. Um, yeah, he's such an incredible songwriter. Um, I think there's, there's a lot of songwriters who have been successful writing music for their bands, you know, so I love One Republic stuff anyway, and, and you know, clearly um, has a knack for, for writing for himself, but then being able to translate that and just step across seamlessly to be able to effortlessly write for, for other artists, yeah. um, I think that's fantastic. So yeah, yeah, Ryan Tedder's certainly on that list. Hopefully we can interview him soon. Um, looking for another one that makes sense. Um, <laughs> well, some of them, you know, people are typing them in shorthand and it's kind of hard to figure uh, out. <laughs> uh, here's one from Larry White. I'm a uh, songwriter and singer, but I'm not a producer or beat maker. I've been networking, but most people already have an instrumental done. Can I make it in this industry without having the beat? Uh, Larry, yes, absolutely. Um, uh, I think it would be helpful if you could collaborate and, and find someone. But if you can't, then 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 carry on. I should. I, I mean, there's been a lot of there's there are plenty of tools out there um, that allow you to create a beat very very easily that you could use as just a kind of working guide. Um, I think just straight out the box with something like Logic, I think you've got templates that you can load up yeah. um, and, and just kind of plug something in and just kind of get something that that can be really good for, for sort of guarding against writer's block, to have something that's just a bit of a backing track, which you can take out later. Um, it means that you've got something that you've got a, a click track that you're working to, you're writing and playing and performing and recording to that rhythm. Um, it, I found it harder then to the, get a producer to kind of drop in a beat that match that because right. it's tied to the groove that you've kind of worked on. Um, but but absolutely, um, and and a lot of songwriters subscribe to the belief that if it can be, if it works on an acoustic guitar and a voice, that's that's it. It just needs anything else is just embellishment. Um, and it, it should be able to stand on its own two feet um, with, with just that. Searching for another one here. Bear with me, please. Um, here's one from 3860 Bush. 
that's an unusual name. Uh, it's all a process, but which do you feel has more realistic opportunities, music licensing or placements with artists? Uh, good question. I think, Michael, you're probably best placed to answer that, knowing your involvement <laughs> and opportunities. Um, I think there are my 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 belief is that there's organizations that can have both um and and place the the music with uh, depends whether they mean finding the artist yourself as a songwriter to write with and write for versus working with a publisher who can place those songs with with other artists or licenses. i think you can do both and mm. i i sometimes jazz people get very upset with me when i say this and i'm not really clear why but i've said that um, learning how to do instrumental tracks for film and TV, like for reality TV, just goofy little pieces of instrumental music, mm -hmm. and I say that affectionately, because we have mm -hmm. members that are making multi-six-figure incomes by doing that. Um, mm -hmm. That's kind of like painting houses by day to put food on the table. And that doesn't prevent you from sitting down at night to work on your grand opus, which is the, you know writing a hit song for a major artist. And by working on film and television, instrumental stuff in particular, it helps mm -hmm. you get much faster uh, using your workstation. It helps you make your own little catalog of sounds. Like you have your go-to bass sound, your go-to kick drum sound, your go-to mic that you use on acoustic guitar, whatever. Um, so by working on the film and TV stuff as your day job, you're prepping yourself to be a better songwriter and producer to write the big hit that you've always dreamed of having. That's my take. <laughs> yeah, and just additionally on that, Michael, is if you're, continue, if you're prolific enough and you're continually creating ideas, not all of those are gonna turn into brilliant songs that you can get placed with other artists or record yourself. There might be kind of a 30 second kind of idea that you haven't really been made able to take it any further or two, two minute instrumental track like you say and yeah. that might be placed um, because you've just kind of that's it served its purpose then then it frees you up to like you say work on something else um, I've only got four minutes left but you just mentioned something about uh, not finishing something and only having 30 seconds and I actually had written a question about this um, so many songwriters that I know have countless incomplete songs sitting on their hard drives. Have any of the pro writers indicated to you any methodologies they may have for, you know, just plowing through and getting it done and, and forcing themselves to finish it, sometimes for better, sometimes for worse? Or do they leave an incomplete thing on the hard drive thinking, eh, someday I'll go back and finish it? Um. I think the key learning for here is, is it goes back to the collaboration side of things. If you're working purely on your own in your own little micro, microcosm and you're just building up this catalog of, of ideas, um, you haven't got anyone as a soundboard to say which one of those ideas has got, got legs. And so you tend to just keep going and keep going and keep going. Whereas if you're working with, with an artist or a band, co-writer, anyone, just, you know, your, your partner, your, your kids or whatever, just play them, you know, play them an idea and see if they get, they get excited about it. If it's a 
potential collaborator, then they might go, oh, oh I've, got the, I've got an idea, I might be able to work on that. And then suddenly that, that little idea takes flight and it can, it, can, it can be allowed to flourish. I think, that, as I say, that, that avoids the kind of build-up of lots of little ideas. Um, you've got to allow yourself to be vulnerable because a lot of those ideas may be rubbish. You know, but you've got to kind of go, look, you know, all this is rubbish, but there might be something in this. Um, if it stays on your hard drive, then it ain't going anywhere. Absolutely. And, and you know, how can you be a hit songwriter if it ain't going anywhere? Um, I've got to say, this has been an incredibly informative and enjoyable interview, Aaron. You are so not only fortunate to um, have interviewed all the, the hit songwriters that you've interviewed, but uh, you've absorbed it well. Um, you're not just repeating it. You, it's obvious to me that you've absorbed it and your brain has wrapped itself around. So you should go back to songwriting at some point is what I'm trying to say because you've learned so much, which you, you said at the onset that part of it was for you, you know, because you want to know the answers and, and clearly you're sharing them with everybody else who's in a similar position. So thank you for, for sharing all that you've learned. Um, also, please, be, before I say goodbye and, and forget to do this, give everybody uh, both of the domains for your website so that they can go check out Songwriting Magazine. So songwritingmagazine.co.uk, songwritingmagazine.com. Uh, spelled all one word, as it sounds. Um, uh, we also produce a quarterly digital magazine at the moment. Uh, we are looking to go into print with that magazine uh, later this year. So um, feel free to, there's tons of content on the website. Um, it'd be great if you could subscribe to our, to our quarterly digital magazine. Um, but you can also, on the website, you can um, sign up for our sort of email subscriber uh, subscription base to um, be kept in touch when we do have the print magazine if you're interested. Uh, you can sort of sign up for sort of uh to be the first first to hear about it <laughs> well i look forward to seeing it and uh I, I spent a big chunk of this past weekend on your website reading the interviews and, and stuff just getting to know you vis-a-vis -vis the interviews and i, I want to let everybody know that if you've not been there yet go there because the quality of the content is excellent uh, it, it's at a, a magazine level standard versus a lot of the social media stuff, which is not. <laughs> uh, it's really, really, really good. For those of you who've read uh, Paul Zolo's classic book, Songwriters on Songwriting, this mm -hmm. is like the living, breathing, ongoing version of that on steroids. So congratulations wow. uh, for doing such a great job on that. I'm really, really proud of you, Aaron. Thank you, Michael. That is high praise indeed, because uh, if I get the chance to meet Paul Zolo, um, he was the person who inspired me, um, because that was exactly what I wanted to do. I read that book cover to cover and just thought, wow, I want more of this. I want, I want to be able to read this every month, every quarter. Um, and so that's what inspired me to, to create Songwriting Maven. So well, if I remember correctly, back in the day, he was one of our earlier screeners at Taxi. He was a member of the A&R team. I think I'm remembering that correctly. 
And I'm sure I've got his number in my address book or my Rolodex. <laughs> Probably I did have it in an actual Rolodex back then. But uh, the next time you come to Los Angeles, please let me know in advance and I'll hook you up for a lunch with him or something. Because I remember he's a very nice guy, very understated, very humble, very nice. Well, with that, I thank you very much for joining us, um, Aaron Slater, ladies and gentlemen, and I will see all of you guys next week for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Bye-bye. <laughs>